and welcome to Seen and Heard, Industry Updates for the Modern Dairy Family. I'm Melissa Lima, your North Coast and Organic Field Services Rep, bringing you today's episode, which includes several industry updates from around the state. Next week, we'll return with our regularly scheduled content, including a guest, but this week, due to some workshops and different commitments for field staff, we're bringing you this short episode. We hope you enjoy. On tap, we have Anya with a Sacramento update. Tiffany with a market update, and Rochelle with some news from Lucero's Unidos de California. Without further ado, let's jump right in. Hi folks, hope you had a great week. Things were relatively uh, calm in the dairy complex, at least when we compare it to what happened in the grains, uh, which was a pretty eye-opening week. Uh, Nearby Corn Futures spent back-to-back days trading as high as $7.20 a bushel. They at one point retreated back below $7, but finally pushed past that mark late in the week and finished Friday at the highest levels we've seen in eight years. Nearby soybean futures saw similar gains, but managed to make new multi-year highs. Um, It's all about weather right now, dry conditions in the U.S. a little bit and South America, along with continued strong export demand. Uh, particularly from China, uh, basically fueled the increases right now as we're in this window um, as we wait for the new crop uh, to come along. Um, There was a few positive uh, sentiments brewing kind of by weeks and uh, weather in the U.S. Midwest seemed to be turning a little bit more favorable for planting and early stage growth. And some analysts are starting to wonder if these higher prices will start to discourage export demand and possibly encourage additional uh, planting. For now, the corn planting progress reached 17% for the week ending April 25th. That was a little bit behind last year's pace of 24% and um, also behind the five-year average of 20%. Uh, but mostly fell in line with expectations. Uh, Likewise, soybean progress climbed to 8%, uh, a little bit above uh, 7% during last year and uh, 5% on average. And as I said, reports suggest warmer temperatures and some rain showers will help planting and crop conditions in the weeks ahead. Turning over to dairy, I think uh, what was happening in the grain complex was definitely being noticed in our dairy markets. generally supportive. I think concerns about what that potential margin squeeze might do for milk production at some point down the road. Um, Also, you know, the calendar, we are about ready to flip till May and um, end users that were, I think, hoping that the markets would have broken by now on a strong uh, spring flush uh, supply um, aren't seeing that happen. And I think in particularly in nonfat, uh, some folks step forward to, uh, you know, buy some product. And we saw nonfat close a week at $1.3250, um, highest price we've seen um, since uh, 2014. Uh, also, let's see, on uh, moving over to cheese, we saw a little bit, ga- little bit of gains, not nearly as much as in the nonfat market. Blocks were up three quarters of a cent, closing at 180. Barrels up three cents, uh, closing at one eighty three fifty. So we we are now posting another week with barrels above blocks. We are hearing food service orders are still strong, though maybe not quite as um, strong as the last few weeks, which I think featured a lot of pipeline refilling. And I would say we are starting to see a little bit of that swing out of retail and into food service. Certainly, as pe- people are eating out more. They are stocking their fridges and pantries a little bit less. 
and uh, natural cheese sales did fall 5% when we compare to the same period in 2019. Moving over to butter, we saw uh, you know plenty of product make its way to Chicago, kind of keeping a lid on prices. We did lose a penny and three quarters, down to one seventy five twenty five. Um, although you know cream continues to be snug and uh, the churns continue to compete for that cream uh, from strong ice cream and uh, cream cheese production. Likewise, uh, to cheese retail sales are starting to slip a little bit, um, down forty percent. Compared to the same week in 2019, though, here too, food service demand seems to be coming on uh, strong. Uh, so positive, positive news on that front. Um, finally, to close out the dairy complex, uh, whey did rebound some back up to 66 cents. Um, continued strong demand from China. Um, and we will, you know, all eyes will be on whether that continues as we move throughout the year. Um, I think that will have a, obviously a huge impact on uh, the non-fat market as well. That's what I got for you for this week. Talk with you soon. Hi, I'm Jessica with PG&E. 811 is a free service to keep our community safe. Before you do any digging, PG&E will mark your gas and electric lines so you don't hit them. Call 811 before you dig. To learn more, visit pg.com safety. All right, well, I'm here with Western United CEO Anya Radhava, and we're going to sit down and chat about some of the issues that what is working on in Sacramento and just what's going on in the legislative world. Thanks for joining us, Anya. Thanks for having me. As always, I'm ready to learn and ready to engage. So <laughs> to kind of kick off, maybe we'll start with how is the legislative process for bills that affect beef and dairy developed since we last talked in the early spring? Well, uh, you would think that pandemic shutdowns and the fact that lobbyists or trade groups or any other public persona, personas not being allowed to enter the Capitol would have affected how much engagement was going on, but it's quite the opposite. There's now probably three Zoom meetings for every one a physical meeting that would have normally been scheduled. So it's been um, nothing short of a zoo as um, both the Senate and the Assembly have tried to decide where their priorities are and how to essentially agendize bills in very select committees that are actually going to the trouble of, of hosting some public sessions. And in order for a bill to kind of pass the sniff, the sniff test throughout um, its existence, there is a number of hearings that, and readings that have to happen. So all of those things have to be scheduled. But as we started, I believe at the end of Jan uh, excuse me, at the end of February, uh, we narrowed our bill list. There was about 2,400 bills that were introduced um, by the bill deadline in February. We narrowed our bill list down uh, from about 386 bills that might have affected beef or dairy in some policy area to 30 bills and finally now to four bills. In the interim, the State Department of Finance, um, along with quite a few other independent um, auditors, have indicated very strongly that there is a massive budget surplus, uh, approximately $17 billion. And so that has really kicked off a new wave of kind of suspension bills and bills that were being held that have been repulled because um, California, um, even though our membership may find, there's, find some irony in this, actually has a, uh, a constitutional obligation to pay back a certain percentage of taxpayer-funded 
dollars um, if they're over a threshold and, and 16, 17 billion is far exceeding a threshold of what's called a rainy day fund. And so if the government does not spend or allocate that budget surplus immediately this session, there will be um, some refund checks, which hasn't happened in a really, really long time. So um, union interests in Sacramento are, are dead set against um, those refunds. They really want the, the money spent. There's a lot of places to spend it, as we'll talk about. But that um, interjection of a massive sum of money into the policy discussion kicked off new hearings. And so we're down to four, but uh, there's been a lot of back and forth in between. Well, it's fascinating to see just the number of bills that began at that, at that period and where, where we are now. So as you kind of look at that huge, massive list of bills, you said you whittled it down from about 2,400 to the 300. What processes do you and the government affairs team use to decide which of those bills you choose to engage on and spend your resources on? That's a really good question, and I, and I think that this is, it embodies the reason that our firmers um, voluntarily offer up their hard-earned money for Western services. But we use a lot of our existing policy resources, like Paul Sousa will weigh in on bills that he's particularly worried about. But once we get through the initial read of everything, it's a simple process called don't swing at bad pitches. And, you know, this is a process that's used in athletics but there are so many bad pitches uh, that come through, you know, the desk of policymakers and we have to respect all of them because they are representing a portion of the state that's elected them to be there. Um, and so they want their voices heard, but there are a number of bad pitches this year that we just frankly had the, I would say the fortitude and the wherewithal and also the calm energy to say, we're not swinging at that. And I will give you an example of probably the worst pitch I've seen so far um, in my time with Western, and that was AB 1289. Um, AB 1289 was introduced by a gentleman named Ash Kalra. He's an assembly member from the Silicon Valley area. And what it would do is it was proposing to establish a grant fund to assist small and mid-sized farms to shift from livestock farming to what they called sustainable plant-based crops. The way we read it was that it would pay farmers to plant almonds and pistachios. And when we asked for some clarification on that, they said, absolutely, that's the best idea ever. Um, you know, they, they seem to be very convinced that, that one thing is very siloed from the other. We know in the agricultural sector that it's a cycle and a circle, it literally is a circle of life. And we were, you know, essentially, we rely on all types of agriculture in California to be sustainable. And we're getting that message out more and more and more through our partnerships with the California Cattle Council. But that pitch on 1289 was so bad, what we determined was that the author really wanted a fight. He wanted the livestock and dairy sectors to come out fighting and swinging on the floor of the assembly, you know, pitching terrible insults at each other so that he could you know, really identify the bad actors. And, you know, when we explored that with his staff, and of course we didn't say those things to his staff, but um, <laughs> we really, um, really kind of read the room and were able to kill the bill just a few weeks ago in committee. It did not even get a vote in committee because we worked really well with our committee members, our colleagues that we've been supporting for some time now 
Um, and we worked with the Assembly Ag Chair, uh, Robert Rivas, to you know, convince him that this was a, a very detrimental policy to food access and food security. Um, you know, we, we really fought it quietly for the right reasons, but the traditional approach that uh, a lot of groups, not just agriculture, take is to, you know, come out and support or oppose. And the nuance that's in the middle is really how you win your point of view. And that's what we've learned after a lot of discipline over the last few years. It's really easy for us to come out frothing and foaming at the mouth when someone suggests that, you know, uh, livestock's production practices are, are environmentally damaging. But the bill was so poorly assembled with such poor policy backing, it really wasn't worth the swing. So um, that's how we killed that one. And I'm very proud of the work that my government affairs team did to do that. Well, it kind of sounds a little bit like knowing when you're being baited for a fight. Exactly what it is. And, and there's, a, there's actually quite a few of that. <laughs> <laughs> it is a very bad um, Instagram poster. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, and they get a lot of traction just from introducing those bills. They get a lot of donations that come in just from introducing those bills. It's really quite irrelevant whether the bills pass or not. It would mean detrimental things to us and to the folks I represent, and our farmers that work really hard to make sustainable dairy products. But um, for them, it's like a free pass, right? They, you know, doesn't matter if they win or lose, they've signaled to the world where they are. Any publicity is good publicity, I guess. I guess. <laughs> Is that maybe the world we're living in a little bit, I guess? <laughs> I'm happy to be on the down low and to sneak around the way we need to in order to get what we want. Yep. Well, we've talked about some of the bad pitches that we didn't swing at this year. And maybe can we talk about the four remaining bills that what is currently working on? Absolutely. So um, our partners, the California Cattlemen's Association and Western United Dairies have been um, really synergistic in how we've approached the capital. Um, it's our own little version of a livestock coalition. Um, and as a barnyard coalition, we've, we've really managed to lift each other up where, you know, maybe there's not as much beef or dairy represented in one sector or the other. But um, one of the bills that, well, we've, we've engaged together on four bills that we're very passionate about that rose through the heap of all the bad pitches and uh, really give dairy farmers and beef ranchers um, and feedlot owners something that we hope that they want. Um, but one of them is AB 778 by Eduardo Garcia. We're full tilt supporting that. It is essentially a Buy California grown bill. This is something um, Eduardo has been very, Mr. Garcia has been very, very passionate about for the last five years since I've known him. But um, the, the idea is that, um, you know, right now our producers are at a competitive disadvantage to producers in other states. Um, Mr. Garcia understands that. And so AB 778 would reward California farmers and ranchers for good stewardship and other agricultural practices by committing to that by California program. And so, you know, we also, there's a lot of job incentives there and uh, it's something that we really support. So the bill proposes that there's, it's almost a billion dollars um, directly from the general fund that would be spent on this um, <clears throat> supporting California farmer program. So really excited about that bill. Um, and we're looking forward to seeing it. So far it's been advancing through policy committees and, and that's great. Um, 
it may ultimately, and we'll talk about bonds here in a minute, but it may be ultimately rolled up into some other bond and, and that would be fine. You, you have to be pretty flexible, particularly at this stage of the game. Another bill that um, Western and California Cattlemen's has jointly supported has to do with California Conservation Ranching Incentive Programs. Uh, it's SB 322 by Senator Laird. Um, Senator Laird has been a wonderful ally uh, the last year. He's, he just was elected to the Senate, but it will essentially enable farmers and ranchers um, stewardship by allowing them to enter into voluntary three-year contracts with the Department of Conservation uh, where they would receive financial resources in exchange for their enhancement of rangeland to provide habitat for birds, pollinators, and other wildlife. And so, of course, what comes up with dairy is tricolored blackbird. And the tricolored blackbird has been a wonderful success story that our partnership with Audubon of California and sustainable conservation has really enhanced. But the funding for that delayed harvest um, uh, forage programs has always been really tenuous. This bill, um, in addition to helping ranchers up in the hills support, you know, tiger salamander habitat, wolf habitat, there's a number of other species. So we're, we're really hoping that we can be good partners in um, mitigating some of the species decline across the state. Um, the, the third one is um, AB434 by Robert Rivas. And what this does is allows um, indemnity to be offered for burn boss situations. Um, it essentially issues livestock grazing leases on state lands to improve California's fire resilience. And so um, this bill is a, is a lot of money that would go towards incentivizing grazing, incentivizing, um, you know, burn bosses to kind of gain some control in those wildland urban interface areas. And, um, you know, one of the more controversial things is we're trying to lower the liability threshold for these burn bosses and for these grazing um, land managers, uh, because there's, there's been some challenges in that space that have actually prevented a lot of control burns. And so those barriers to entry have to be eliminated. They have to be reduced because we have a wildland ag, uh, ag land interface problem when it comes to wildfires, um, see Sonoma and um, Marin counties. So um, these kinds of grazing incentives are going to be really, really helpful in lowering some of those um, community threats right now that we see. And then the last bill, and I'll spend a little bit more time on it, I'm, I'm sure I'm talking a little fast, um, is AB125. And again, that is another Robert Rivas bill. He's the chair of the Assembly Ag Committee. And uh, we're supporting that. It is the blueprint for a bond. So we're calling it the Ag Bond. Um, and I'll talk about how it plays a role with a number of other bonds in the future, but there's four key elements that really stand out as um, just automatic support structures for cattlemen's and Western United Dairies. And the first is that it expands food access. So there's $750 million in there to really make sure that our food bank system is up to snuff that, for example, where we sit, um, that would provide more reefer technology to maintain better dairy product donations at a much faster rate, which really shone through in our pandemic last spring as a major weakness. It would also facilitate transportation and trucking in the reefer space. So a lot of incentives to make sure that not just the quality of food for food access and food distribution is better, but that it maintains um, a higher level of beef and dairy product donations. The second thing in the ag bond that really 
um, you know, tickles our fancy is that it earmarks $40 million for prescribed grazing, um, again, intended to support wildfire suppression. So um, again, that's, that's something that we really have been sitting well in that space. Um, obviously, there's a lot of our farmers on the North Coast that are already doing a lot of that engagement, but um, this really, really helps um, some of the livestock guys up in the hills. The third thing that attracted um, our automatic support was um, that it advances and allocates $100 million um, for uh, livestock uh, efforts to reduce methane emissions. So that's really important to us. We've, and we'll talk about this in a little bit here, there's been a lot of political challenges within the legislature to continue methane reduction funding, particularly on digesters. And so um, Mr. Rivas's bill specifically exempts and prohibits funding from going to digesters because it is not politically achievable. But I will take any money I can to reduce manure methane emissions. And so this seemed like a really good fit for a lot of farmers' goals and objectives in that space. And the fourth thing that um, attracted Cattlemen's and Western to supporting this bill um, is, is potentially one of the more, I think, socially just things that people in agriculture need to stand up and be counted on and really recognize. And that is safeguards for the most critical element of our food and agriculture sector, our workers. Um, essential workers need housing. They need a tremendous amount of frontline activities, including rural health access. And this bond uh, would provide a tremendous amount of money for state-sponsored employee housing. Um, there have been a lot of efforts by Western over the last few years to think about housing credits. This bill accomplished that in so many words. And so it made a lot of sense for us to put our support behind it. Well, thanks, Anya. That was quite the rundown. You guys have been pretty busy. And in addition to all those bills you've been working on, maybe if you take another minute and talk about what other Sacramento policy priorities the government affairs team has been working on. Two big ones. Um, I'll cover the easiest one first, which is water project improvements. Uh, there, because of the state surplus that I mentioned earlier, there is a ton of money that is ju just today, today's Thursday, the 29th, has been approved in the Senate for emergency one-time funding for water quality efficiencies. They're calling an early budget action plan. And um, we've been really proud to work with Senate Pro Tem Tony Atkins for several years now. She was fundamentally critical in helping us get the Cattle Council um, law through. And so um, she approached a large sector of ag and water a few weeks ago about this request. And the guardrails were very simple. Give me something that's politically achievable and that's not water storage because it's not politically achievable, basically. And so um, that did bring some raised eyebrows from the ag and water community in the Valley. That's something I understand, but this is a political ask and you have to respond with a political answer. And so we have been supporting a number of identified projects uh, that would benefit dairy farmers across the state. I can briefly go through those. Um, we were able to secure support um, from our Association, Cattlemen's Association, but also have been working well with um, Mill Producers Council to formulate this proposal. Um, one of them is well mitigation projects for disadvantaged communities. This is um, 
Again, it's not as um, obvious to a lot of ag and water districts, but this is um, something that will fundamentally affect our disadvantaged communities like in the next week as we start to pump more of uh, the wells in those shallow groundwater basins are going to go out first. So immediate funding for those folks for replacement water or replacement wells is really important. Lagoon retrofits. Um, this one is uh, a challenging time, particularly in areas that have high groundwater tables. Um, I know that doesn't typically affect the south, but lagoons intersecting with groundwater have become something that the Central Valley Water Board is really seeking remedies on, and all of those remedies are incredibly expensive. So uh, we're looking for some assistance there. Uh, the other two issues are um, really, again, just as important. We're looking for IRWIMP grant increases because we think that that helps uh, communities across the state. It's really a statewide assistance program that helps districts come into, you know, just general collaboration with how they're going to balance their water so that they don't have to become adjudicated. And then the last one is um, increasing some grant funding for watershed coordinators. What um, we're finding and what's really been proven out as we develop the Sigma process through the GSAs is that GSAs that have access to large ratepayer bases are much better set up to apply for successful grants in those help spaces. But the areas that have low you know, ratepayer turnout and or are not as well funded or sophisticated are, and those are usually the most critically overdrafted in the white areas, of course, are not getting the same access to those funds. So we're really hoping in this water ask that we can secure that. So, and then the last thing I will dwell on for just a bit is methane. There is a war currently brewing in Sacramento on enteric regulation for dairy methane. And I set this up with some drama because there's really two ways to look at methane right now if you're a dairy farmer. One is to work with ARB and the anti-animal activists to regulate the industry out of existence and therefore regulate enteric. The second way you can look at methane is to increase our manure um, methane money to some extent by reducing our emissions in that sector and forcing ARB to hold to the deal that they made on 1383. The deal that was made is 40% of our manure emissions are to be reduced by 2030. ARB is explicitly forbidden at this time to touch enteric. And there's a number of really good reasons for that that still hold true to this day. But the number one reason that our board of Western believes that the second approach which is to hold ARB to the deal that they made is the right one is because of the cost associated with enteric um, feed additives. It's extremely cost prohibitive. There's also a lot of unknowns. Currently it's not FDA approved. And so that has a barrier to go through. But these are some broad concerns that as we approach the capital about asking for more manure reduction money, uh, or excuse me, more methane reduction money, we have to be very precise in how we set up that strategy long-term. Because if we give ARB the wrong impression that it's okay to regulate us via enteric, that's not okay with the Board of Western United Dairies. 
So those are things that um, we're going to be fighting on. We have chosen to fight ARB and we are working on a public affairs strategy to match that fight. It's very um, intimidating to go up against ARB. Their job in Sacramento is to regulate. That's their only job. And the iron law of bureaucracy dictates that they, to feed themselves and to keep themselves alive, they have to keep regulating. But I believe that we have enough tools in our bag to have that fight and win. And if we don't win, we at least need to darn well try because our farmers have done a fantastic job reducing their methane. The digesters are working well. They're a huge part of our story, but they are no longer politically viable in the capital. And um, there's a number of environmental justice concerns that at this time are very, very loud. So we have to find alternative ways to really keep reducing our manure methane emissions. And that's what we're doing so that we can win this fight against ARB. Well, thank you, Anya. As always, we really appreciate the overview and appreciate all the work you and the government affairs team are doing every day in Sacramento. Well, thanks for having me. And, and if there are ever any questions, you feel free to reach out at Anya, A-N-J-A, at wudairies.com. Always happy to go into more detail and um, really look forward to the feedback. All right. Well, thanks again. Thank you. Yosemite Farm Credit is the farmer's choice for agriculture financing. As a farmer-owned cooperative, we are dedicated to serving our neighbors in the agriculture community with financial products and services tailored to your operation and backed with the relationship you can trust. Whether you're purchasing real estate, making improvements to the dairy, or wanting to purchase or lease equipment, we're here to help our members prosper. Visit our website at yosemitefarmcredit.com to find a branch location nearest you. Dairy members, Rochelle with Western United Dairies and Lancheros Unidos de California. We are aware that we have many dairies needing employees to fill open job spots. I bring this message to you to hope every member understands it is not getting any easy finding people and we ask to be patient and you will have someone hiring in no time. We are doing our best to help you dairy members stay productive and happy. So just keep in mind we do the advertising for free and help any of you possible employees. Our phone number is 209-527-6453 or via email r-a-s-h-e-l-l at wudairies.com. Thank you and have a nice day. Did you know that you can turn your dairy manure into cash? Bennett Environmental is offering above-ground dairy digesters at no cost to you. These systems can also remove nitrates from your lagoons to help you comply with water board regulations. Our proven above-ground technology will generate income for your dairy into the foreseeable future. Because we truck the renewable natural gas off-site, your dairy can profit regardless of your location. Bennett Environmental, turning your wastewater liabilities into sustainable assets. Learn more at bennett-environmental.com. Thanks for listening in to this week's episode of Seen and Heard. We want to give a huge thank you, as usual, to Tiffany for her market update. We want to also thank Anya and Rochelle for contributing to today's episode. Remember that you can reach out to us with questions, comments, and content requests. Our email is wud.pod at gmail.com. 
Melissa can be reached at M-L-E-M-A at wudairies.com. And my email is D-A-R-B-Y at wudairies.com. If you have questions for Anya, you can reach her at A-N-J-A at wudairies.com. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite platform. Have a great week. While West United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the West United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to Western United Dairies' generous 2020 business sponsors, Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com. That's info at wudairies.com. D-A-I-R-I-E-S dot com.